Our scripture today is from Psalm 23, starting at verse 4. And so I'm just going to give you a moment to find that in your Bible or on your device. And if you're new, you can go to our website and click on Everything Sunday Morning, and you can grab sermon notes if you want to follow along. So Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, just before we come to the message, just one last plug uh, for the Ask Anything series coming up this fall, our sermon series where we are going to base everything around the questions that you ask. Uh, We've been collecting questions over the last two weeks. Today is the very last day that you can submit questions. So again, if you haven't done that yet or you want to encourage someone to do it, you can just go to our website. You can check out our Instagram, our Facebook, anything like that, and there is a single question on there about what are your questions about God, the Bible, Christianity, the church, anything like that, submit it. And again, here's what we're doing with those questions this week. Once we've got them all collected, we're going to go through and we're going to look for questions that are all kind of part of the same theme. And so just because your exact questions uh, will not be maybe the most common one, we're going to take them, group them together. So maybe we have a theme and there's like three or four sub-questions of which your question might be a part of that. Then next Sunday, this is going to be pretty exciting as we heard, we're going to be announcing our top 15 most common theme-based questions, and then we're going to tell you how you can vote on those. Then we'll have two weeks of voting, and uh, we'll take the top eight or nine. And then I'm going to go on a sabbatical in fall, and Steve's going to answer all the questions. (laughs) No, I'm not going to make him do that. Uh, We will take the top eight or nine questions that you are going to vote on. And uh, then, of course, starting September 13th, we are going to begin this series, which we're calling Ask Anything. But that's not where we are today. Today, uh, we're still a few months behind that, and we are today in the second part of a two-part series that we are doing on Psalm 23. And uh, this is just obviously an incredible psalm for us to look at because Psalm 23 is without doubt the most famous psalm in all the Bible. It it might even be the most famous chapter in all of the Bible. Uh, Even Wikipedia has a page devoted to Psalm 23. Uh, historically, it's been used in all kinds of ways. For instance, in classical music or just in music in general, it's been set to music by the likes of Franz Schubert, Leonard Bernstein, the Irish composer named Charles Stanford, and the English composer Herbert Howells. It's appeared in all kinds of movies, just a line here and a line there. Maybe the most famous movie is Titanic. It appeared in that movie. Uh, it was read at Whitney Houston's funeral. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, famous bands uh, like Pink Floyd, The Grateful Dead, Kanye West, they've all taken lyrics straight out of David thousands of years ago and are making music today with David's music that he wrote a few thousand years ago. And of course, George W. Bush even used Psalm 23 in his national address immediately following the attacks of September 11th. There are all kinds of great memes, of course, that come out of this. So here's one meme that I kind of liked. We've got a cat walking in front of about a dozen police dogs, and it's just saying, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. That's a pretty good one. Uh, Here's one I like even better, though. Got a chicken 
Walking in front of KFC, same line, though I walk through the shadow of the, uh, though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not even a great quote. It's a meme. This is what the internet always does. They always mess up the exact words. But hey, we got a chicken in front of KFC. So here's the question with those kind of things. Obviously, Psalm 23, even culturally, still has a sense of, for the people in our culture, at least key lines like that one. Why is that? What, what is Psalm 23? Why does it have this staying power over so many generations? I think just on a basic secular level, it has that kind of power because it's a poetic masterpiece. I mean, if you are going through a really hard time, like the hardest time in your life, there's almost no better way to say that than even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's just so poetically powerful. And then, of course, if you're a Christian or if you're a Jew long before the time of Jesus and you're reading David's words, these words, just the way that David has put them, impact our hearts so powerfully. They give so much comfort to us that God is our shepherd, that he is a help for us, that he upholds us. And so that's why Psalm 23 has been just so dear to the people of God, to their hearts it's been dear to the single mom going through hard times, to the soldier dying on the battlefield, to anyone and everyone going through a really difficult time, for the Lord himself is our shepherd. Now this morning what I'm praying is that God would take these words and that he would again use them as he has with so many of his people through history to bring comfort to you, to encourage you, to speak to your heart today, as he has done with so many people through history. Last week, we looked at verses 1 to 3. These picture God as our shepherd, and we are his sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. So, Jesus is our good shepherd. We are the sheep. Today, we're looking at verses 4 to 6. In verses 4 to 6, this image of shepherd and sheep continues, but then it switches metaphors, and it all of a sudden becomes God as a host of a great banquet, an extravagant and generous host, and we are the people gathering at his banquet whom he is serving. So that's where we're going today. But these verses today really are going to take us through the darkest trials of life, but then end us on just the pinnacle of joy. The verses we're going to look at today will walk us through the shadows of our earthly pilgrimage to eventually we behold the glory and the splendor of God's great city, the city that we are all heading toward. So here's how I want to divide today's message. I want to talk about three things. First, I want to talk about the dark valleys that we must walk through. This is just part of life. Then secondly, I want to talk about how we walk through those dark valleys. We have to walk through them, so how do we get through these dark valleys? And then finally, the joy of sitting down at God's table, the joy of being with him forever. So let's do those three things. Let's talk now in the first place about this, the dark valleys that we must walk through. As we continue on in Psalm 23, David shows us right away that being one of God's people, being one of Jesus' people, is not always the experience of lying down in green pastures, being led beside still waters. Yes, Jesus, the good shepherd, does that for his people, his sheep. There are great moments like that in life. But now we're learning that our shepherd also leads us through dark valleys. 
Isn't that what verse 4 is saying? Here's what verse 4 says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, let's camp out on this verse just for a little bit. Because here is one of my deep convictions. I'm deeply convinced that as Christians, we know this is a powerful verse. We get that. But we don't get to fully enjoy it because we apply it too narrowly. I brought this up last week. When I said to you, where do you usually imagine Psalm 23 being read? In what context? And I think most of us would agree that we most commonly hear it at a funeral. I said that's a great place to read Psalm 23. It definitely applies to that situation. But what I was trying to argue last week and what I want to do right now with this verse is to say that this psalm, once again, is not about death per se. It's about life. It's not about dying as much as it is about how to live, as it is about living. And that is exactly what is going on in verse 4. So too often, we take verse 4 and we think it means, okay, when I get to death's door, then God will be with me. Now, that's true, that's good, but that is actually not the primary point of verse 4. Yes, there is a valley that we might call death itself that all of us must walk through. But before that on our pilgrimage, there are dozens, maybe hundreds of dark valleys that we must walk through on the pilgrimage to God's great city. So let me apply this verse then and show you how it's more about living than it is about dying. That this applies directly to your life, probably many of you, and what you are going through right now. So what's the picture of this? The picture here, again, is of shepherd and sheep. Shepherds, especially in the Middle East, they're always having to migrate their flocks because unlike Victoria, there's not grass everywhere and there's not streams of water everywhere. So they're always searching for grass, always searching for water. And every once in a while, a shepherd will have to lead his sheep through what is called a wadi, W-A-D-I, a wadi. A wadi is formed when the winter rains begin to cut channels through the soft ground, and just like on the West Coast here, it begins to create what we might call a canyon. So here's a picture of what just a typical wadi might look like. So that's in the Middle East. Ours, of course, would look very different, but you know what it looks like. You've got the rocks on the one side. In wintertime, this will be a rushing river going through here. And uh, so just imagine here on the West Coast, one of our great streams with a canyon, except for our streams never dry up, but imagine it did. Imagine it dried up in summertime and it created a path. That is what the shepherd has to lead his flock through. So you can even see here, what's the problem with this? If you're a sheep walking through there and there's a narrow kind of gap, what's going to happen is everything's going to go dark. The sun is now blotted out and there's shadows covering absolutely everything. And so as a sheep, the sheep begin to get very scared. They get very tense because who knows, there might be a predator hiding here. There might be a predator hiding here. Not only that, they have to walk more in a a single file line or two by two. And so then maybe the back sheep, they can't even see the shepherd anymore. And so the the sheep then begin to get very afraid. Where's the shepherd? They think, has he abandoned us? Oh no, what's around there? Everything's so dark. And the sheep start to freak out. That's what this picture is meant to be when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So King David, as he writes this, he's not describing death itself, though that could be definitely an application. What he's describing here is more broad than death. He's describing life 
Again, it's not a psalm about dying. It's a psalm about living. And yes, there is one final valley that we must walk through, the valley of death itself, before we reach the other side and meet our great maker. But before that, our shepherd also leads us through many valleys of darkest shadows. So to say then that a person is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, what what we're saying with that then is we're describing life's darkest moments. That's the description here. There are shadows that we must walk under in life, but then there are those times in life when we feel like we are in a valley whose shadow feels like death itself, especially to us who are sheep. Remember, we're not lions. We're not just filled with courage. No, we are sheep and we are easily scared. So, This verse then is describing that moment of the person who says, I'm not just in any old shadow. I'm in the darkest of all shadows. The place that I'm in in life right now, it's it's like the deepest, darkest valley and and, and all the lights have gone out above me and, and it's like death's dark shadow has covered over everything so I can't see where I'm going. I don't even see what's in front of me in life. I don't sense any purpose. I don't even know where the shepherd is anymore. That's the experience of verse 4. Do you know that place? It's the place of deep sorrow. It can be the place of chronic pain. It's a place where you feel helpless. You feel overcome. Your heart is filled with fear. It's that moment in life when you feel like all is lost, when you don't feel any sense of hope. It's no wonder then when J.R.R. Tolkien wrote his famous Lord of the Rings book, he described evil and the trials that came upon Middle-earth as a great shadow. Of course, the story begins in the green pastures and still waters of the Shire, but it quickly moves and a shadow begins to come over all of Middle-earth. And if you've seen the movies, you know that the whole movies get darker and darker and darker, the farther you watch until you finally get to the third movie. And then there's this great scene where the wicked steward of Gondor sends his own son and his army out to fight a battle he knows they're going to lose, and they're going to all get just decimated. They're all going to lose their lives in this battle. And so the wicked steward of Gondor is sitting there, and he's eating his meal. And and the the scene is amazingly uh, captured on film because what they do is they move from a shot of the army getting destroyed destroyed, back to the steward of Gondor eating his meal of a shadow covering over the land, and the steward of Gondor says to a hobbit named Pippin, I want you to sing a song for me. So as all this is going on, the hobbit named Pippin sings a mournful song, and it goes like this, home is behind, the world ahead. And there are many paths to tread through shadow to the edge of night until the stars are all alight, mist and shadow, cloud and shade. All shall fade, all shall fade. You live long enough, you will always experience this sense of what Pippin is singing about, what David is writing about. It's those moments where life all the lights have gone out. And I know that many of you in our church family are even in that point right now. There are so many different valleys like this. Just call them the valley of the darkest shadow. There's so many variations of this. 
And I know many of you are walking through one of those valleys right now. You can see then why Psalm 23 is read at funerals. It should be read at funerals because it's for the living. It's for the living now who maybe have lost a spouse, and now you must walk through the valley of grief. And the valley of grief can most certainly feel like death's shadow covers over all of it, and you cannot even see a few feet ahead of you. You do not know where life is going anymore, and grief seems to consume you with its dark shadow. That's, I think, where many of us have, are right now in our church. And listen, if you're not there right now, you will be one day. So we all, you cannot walk the pilgrimage of this life. You cannot walk this path very long without walking through one of these valleys. It, what it, it's what it means to live in this fallen world. And yet we're reading here that the shepherd will continue to lead his sheep. But part of what it means to follow Jesus is to understand that sometimes he doesn't just lead you in green pastures and beside still waters. Sometimes he leads us through valleys of darkest shadows. So, now that we've seen that, I think we all understand now the sense of what verse 4 is saying, that we must walk through these valleys. Let's come to the second point. This is kind of the more practical one now, and let's talk about how we can make it through the dark valleys, how we can make it through dark valleys. We all need this. If you don't need this right now, a point in your life will come where you will most certainly need this. And right here, right at the beginning of this point, is where Christianity is shown to be so good. It's shown to be so good, and it showed this right here is where we're going to see why, if you are not a Christian, why you should seriously consider repenting of your sins and giving your life to Jesus Christ because of the goodness which you will receive if you will give your life to Christ. Let me put it to you like this. If there is no God, and this universe is all that there is, it's just all matter, that's all that, we, all that exists. There is no spiritual realm. There is no God. If that is what reality is, you have no ultimate comfort when you have to walk through one of these dark valleys. Oh, yes, you might have other people who love you. Maybe you have a spouse who loves you, friends who love you. They can support you while you go through these times. That's really important. I would never want to downplay that. But at the end of the day, nobody can walk in your shoes. At the end of the day, no one knows your thoughts and can be with you in your thoughts and in your emotions. So at the end of the day, as great as other people are, and they're so important to help us get through these dark valleys, if there's no God, then you must walk by yourself. I don't think this was put any better than by one of the great theological groups of our day, the band called Green Day. Maybe you don't know Green Day. They've been a pretty famous band over the last 25 years or so. Still famous, even though they were famous when I was in high school. Uh, still really famous. And their most commercially successful song is a song called Boulevard of Broken Dreams. In fact, it's the ninth most famous song on the Billboard Top 100 from, uh, for an entire decade. From 2000 to 2010, it's the ninth most famous song. And it's really a mournful song. But it's an honest song about people who clearly do not know Jesus Christ, and it seems like maybe don't believe that there is a God who exists, but may even hope that there is. Here's what they sing. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. Don't know where it goes, but it's only me, 
and I walk alone. And then the chorus goes like this, my shadow is the only one that walks beside me. No one else walks beside me. It's only my shadow. My shallow heart's the only thing that's beating. Sometimes I wish someone out there will find me. Till then, I walk alone. Some honest lyrics. You can hear the loneliness in that, can't you? And it's not just a loneliness in the general sense of which we use that. That's what we might call an existential loneliness. A loneliness that I'm alone in the universe, that it's just all matter out there. The universe is cold. The universe is impersonal. And really, at the end of the day, what they're saying is, I walk alone. No matter who else is beside me, my bandmates, my spouse, my kids, at the end of the day, what they're singing is, I got to walk alone. There's a deep loneliness within. But at least they're right. If there is no God, then that's exactly the case. But listen, once again, right here, this is where I say we see the goodness, what, what hope, what comfort there is in the Christian message. For when you repent of your sins, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he becomes your good shepherd. You are his sheep, and the good shepherd will always be there with his sheep. Oh yes, we still have to walk through many valleys. But look now what David says in verse 4. He says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Now just notice, there's no minimizing of pain. He's not saying if you give your life to Jesus here, he'll just solve all your problems and you'll never have to walk through any dark valleys. No, that's not what he's saying. Not at all. He's saying there is a valley. There's a valley, and that valley is, is so dark, the shadow is so dark over it, but we're calling this shadow the shadow of death itself. And yet, Jesus' sheep can say in the midst of all of that darkness, I will fear no evil. So here's the big question. What is it that keeps the sheep from not being totally afraid? What is it that enables us as sheep who are really easily terrified. What is enables us to keep on walking through this valley, keep on following the good shepherd, even if we don't feel like we can see him or sense his presence? What is it? Why does he fear no evil? Oh, you know, if you've read this before, it's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you, Jesus, the good shepherd, are with me. For you, Yahweh, God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth, you, God, are the one who is with me. Even if I can't sense your presence, even if I can't see you, you are with me. This is the good news of Psalm 23. This is the answer for Green Day. The answer to all of our difficulties in life is, if you are part of Christ, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you do not walk alone. That is such good news. To change the metaphor entirely, it makes me think of when my kids were younger, and of course, kids always wake up with nightmares. They wake up afraid, and so they come to our room, and of course, what do they do? They come, and they snuggle into bed between their parents, and it is incredible to watch fear just dissipate to watch their anxiety just disappear. And within just a couple more minutes, all of a sudden, they're sleeping soundly between us. And we're not really sleeping at all because they're kicking us and moving and all those kind of things. But this is what saves a child from all their fears. 
is knowing that their parents are near. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, God becomes your father. And he's the good father. He's the good father that many people never had. Maybe you never had in this life. He's the father who is always near to his children, even if you do not feel it. To switch back to the metaphor, Jesus is the good shepherd who is always near to his sheep. And the sheep can rest easy in the presence of the shepherd. And then David goes on to describe two reasons why this is the case, why we can rest easy, why we need not fear. Here's what he writes. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, let's just stop on that one, your rod comforts me. That's the reason what his good shepherd is with him, and he says, I don't need to fear. Why? Because his rod comforts me. What is that idea? What's going on here with this kind of thing? Well, a rod was basically a two-foot club. And remember last week I told you about Philip Keller, not Tim Keller, who we often quote, but Philip Keller, a guy who went and lived with a bunch of shepherds. He was a shepherd for a while to try to understand a shepherd's life. And he says that shepherd boys uh, will spend a tremendous amount of time learning to wield this weapon, to wield this rod. They'll spend hours learning how to throw it. And he says they can throw it with incredible accuracy and with incredible force. Describing his experience of watching this, Keller writes the following. The effectiveness of these crude clubs in the hands of skilled shepherds was a thrill to watch. The rod was, in fact, an extension of the owner's arm. It stood as a symbol of his strength, his power, his authority in any serious situation. The rod was what he relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock in danger. So that's the rod. This is what Jesus, Jesus is the one who protects his sheep. But there's another thing that he mentions. He says, it's not just your rod that comforts me, it's your rod and your staff that comfort me. And of course, you know what a shepherd's staff looks like. It's just that long, narrow staff, and it's got the, the kind of hook on the end, the hooked end. And, and with that staff, the shepherd, as he's just pushing the sheep along, herding the sheep along, he can just kind of tap one of the sheep who's wandering off, and the sheep knows that's the shepherd touching me. Okay, I know the shepherd's there, even if I don't see him. Uh, that, that's the, the staff that if, if a, sh- a sheep does go off the path, gets tangled in some bushes or something, uh, the shepherd can just kind of take the crook of it, kind of pull the sheep back up out of the bushes that it's stuck in. So the staff brings comfort to the sheep, for the sheep know that the shepherd is always near. They can sense the shepherd's touch. So it is today, as Christians, we say, God, Jesus, I've walked through many valleys, but you have protected me. You have comforted me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many Christians testify of God's goodness to them in the dark shadows? There's always a tension here because some of you might be saying, yeah, but I had bad things happen to me. Yes, some of these things we do not always understand, but what, when you look back at your life, can you say, the shepherd has always been with me. He has not left me. He has not forsaken me. That's what this is talking about here. He's ultimately been with me every step of the way. I think, of course, as we alluded to earlier, one of the greatest valleys that people have to walk through is grief. Grief when they lose a loved one. Maybe it's a child that they lost. Maybe it's a spouse that they've lost. And so Philip Keller, again, reflects on his own wife and her illness and death. And then he writes this. 
During my wife's illness and after her death, I could not get over the strength, solace, and serene outlook imparted to me virtually hour after hour by the presence of God's gracious Spirit Himself. It was as if I was being repeatedly refreshed and restored despite the most desperate circumstances around me. And how can you say that in the midst of such trials? Because of Psalm 23. A quote like that is never minimizing the pain of grief. The pain of grief is a dark valley that's hard to go through. But so many people testify to God's grace and comfort being near to them in those kind of valleys. Sometimes they don't even realize it until they get out the other side and they look back and they say, oh, He has guided me. He has not abandoned me. He has comforted me along the way. And so they can say with Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It's why we sing when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. A few weeks ago, I talked to you about John Bunyan's most famous book called Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan lived in the 1600s. He was put in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he was in jail, he wrote this book, which ended up being the second most published book next to the Bible uh, up until, I think, about the 1980s or 1990s or something like that. Still one of the most famous books in the history of the world. And what he does in this book is he kind of tells the story of our Christian lives through a character aptly named Christian, and the whole thing is an allegory of the Christian life. And it describes how Christian lives in the city of destruction. He reads the Bible and he, he learns that the city is going to be destroyed, and so he flees the city. He has a great weight on his shoulders, which represents his sins. He comes to a cross. He, he receives Jesus Christ. His burden rolls away, and then he begins his Christian life. And Bunyan describes the whole Christian life as a pilgrimage, as a long journey. And so he follows the king's path, and he's headed towards the king's city, to the celestial city called Zion. He can't see it yet. It's a long ways off. And along this path, he faces many joys, and he has many trials. It's a wonderful picture of the entire Christian life. And Bunyan describes a particular moment on this entire journey when he comes to a valley, a valley of darkest shadows. Let me read for you an extended portion from the story, maybe inspire you to even pick it up and read it yourself uh, this summer. Here's what he writes. The end of this valley turned into the valley of the shadow of death. Christian had to go through it for the way to the celestial city lay through its center. In other words, we have to walk through these valleys. That's the path we must walk in order to get to the celestial city. Uh, when Christian reached the borders of the shadow of death, two men met him. They told him to hurry back. Christian spoke, where are you going? Back, back. We would have you do the same if life or peace is valued by you. Christian says, why? What's the matter? matter. We were going the same way as you. We went as far as we dared. We were almost past the point of no return. Had we gone a little further, we would not be able to bring back the news to you. Christian's concerned, and he says, what did you see? And the men say, we were almost in the valley of the shadow of death. We looked by chance and saw the danger before we reached it. And what did you see? Christian asks again. The men say, the valley is as dark as pitch. 
We saw monsters, half men and half goats, and dragons from the pit. Over that valley hangs the discouraging clouds of confusion. Hmm. The discouraging clouds of confusion. Death spreads his wings over it. In a word, it is totally dreadful and completely without order. Christian says, from what you've said, this is my way to the desired haven. The men say, it can be your way, but we will not choose it for ours. They separated. Christian went on with a drawn sword, concerned that he might be assaulted. I saw in my dream that as far as this valley reached, there was a deep ditch on the right where the blind has led the blind in all ages, and both miserably perished. On the left was a dangerous quagmire where even if a good man falls, he finds no bottom for his feet to stand on. The pathway was exceedingly narrow. Good Christian had to be most cautious, for it was dark. He had to avoid the ditch on his right and the mire on his left. When he tried to avoid the mire, he had to be most careful, for he could readily fall into the ditch. I heard him sigh bitterly. Besides the dangers mentioned above, the pathway was so dark that when he lifted his foot to go forward, he did not know where or on what he would next set it. He thought he heard a company of evil creatures coming to meet him. He began to deliberate. Sometimes he, had, he half thought to go back, back to the city of destruction. Then he thought he might be halfway through the valley. He also remembered how he had already conquered many dangers. The hazard of going back might be much greater than going forward. So he resolved to go on. Yet the evil creatures seemed to be coming closer and closer. When they were almost on him, he cried with fervent voice, I will walk in the strength of the Lord God. The evil creatures retreated and came no further. Christian traveled in this distressed condition for a considerable time. He thought he heard the voice of a man man ahead of him, saying, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Then he was glad for these at least three reasons. First, some who feared God were in this valley with him. Second, God was with them even though it was dark and dismal. Third, he hoped if he could overtake them to have company. He moved on, calling to him that was ahead, but there was no answer. He thought he was alone. But then the day broke, and Christian said, he turns the shadow of death into morning. Now that morning had arrived, he looked back, not to return, but to see by the light of day the dangers he had passed through in the dark. And Christian was greatly affected by his deliverance. Greatly affected. What a, what a marvelous description of what it means to live the Christian life. He'd already come that far. He couldn't turn back now. And friends, this is the path we all must walk. The journey to God's celestial city passes through many dark valleys, and through these valleys we must walk. And so we need Psalm 23 to teach us how to walk through these valleys. And what it teaches us here is that our shepherd, Yahweh, Jesus, the good shepherd, is with us. He is with us and for us. Even when we cannot see him, 
when we cannot sense His presence, and it seems like death itself has put its shadow over all of our lives. This is why we sing those great words. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Home. And home is exactly where the Good Shepherd is leading us. Home is really where Psalm 23 ends. For now that we've talked about the dark valleys that we have to walk through, and we've talked about how we're supposed to walk through these dark valleys, we now turn in the final place to talk about the joy, the joy of sitting down at God's table. In the last two verses, David switches away from the metaphor of shepherd and sheep, and he moves into a metaphor where God is that great banquet host, an extravagant host, a generous host, and we are the people, the guests invited to sit at his table. This is home. So verses 5 to 6 read like this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh, of Jesus the good shepherd, forever. What he's saying there is even in this life, despite those dark valleys, God continues to pour out his grace and favor to his people. Have you not been in dark valleys when all of a sudden, even maybe in the midst of that valley, just for a, maybe even for a moment, he lays you down beside quiet waters? He restores your soul in the midst of the valley. That's what's going on here. He's, he's putting a, a feast before you, giving you a reprieve, giving you restoration for your soul even in the midst of the valley. And then sometimes you come through one dark valley and you have a season of life where he restores your soul again and you're feasting at his table. All of your enemies have been put behind you and you've been delivered again. Now you've got to keep walking. Who knows what's going to happen around the next corner. But this is the language here. And this goodness and mercy, they're going to overtake Jesus' sheep. They're going to overtake God's guests, God's people. That's the language of who our heavenly Father is. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I'm learning the truth of this. I love to talk to Christians who've followed Jesus for 60, 70, 80 years, you know, almost without fail. When I talk with them, they'll say things like, I, I can't even believe that I got to this place in my life. I have been through so many things. And when they look back now, they will say, Jesus led me every step of the way. And they'll look back and they'll say, why did I ever doubt that? Why did I ever think that he didn't care? Because now they have a bit more perspective. And so if, if you're younger, listen to the testimony of the older saints. Listen to the testimony of David. you got to be able to trust that. You need to hold on to that when you're in one of those dark valleys, lest you turn up, turn around, give up and turn around and want to head back, even though you've come so far already. And then, of course, David ends this great song by saying, I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. Speaking of the temple for David, the temple was God's special, unique dwelling place, the symbol of his presence among his people. So David's saying a day is coming where I will be in this presence forever. That's his greatest longing. 
And of course, when we get to the New Testament, we see that Jesus himself is the temple. Jesus says he is the temple and that we will dwell with him forever. God himself in the book of Revelation will come down and dwell on the new earth and God's presence will dwell with his people. And the whole picture in Revelation 21 and 22 is that of a temple, of God's people living in his presence forever. And this great truth, this also is meant to sustain us on this long pilgrimage that we're on. As Jesus himself said in those famous words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be troubled when you're going through one of these dark valleys. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is the great ending to the Bible's story, that we will dwell in the temple of the Lord forever, for all of Jesus' people will dwell with God forever on a new earth. Heaven will come down to earth, and we will dwell with him forever. He will give us this place that he went to prepare for us. It's like the old song, we don't sing it anymore, but many of you who have been around the church for quite some time will know it. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. We can't see it yet. It's just over the hilltop, and soon enough, our pilgrimage will end. We'll take the last steps of our journey. We'll cross over the top of that hill, and there we will see all that we have been longing for. And so we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of Psalm 23. And I pray that it would comfort all of our hearts, that we would cling forever to these words, that we truly would do what Jesus called us to do, to trust in you, to not let our hearts be discouraged, but to trust in you in the difficult times when we often feel discouraged. Thank you for the way this psalm sustains us, enabling us just to take one more step today on this long journey, one more step towards the final day when we will finally arrive at home. We thank you for this. Sustain each one, I pray, in our church family. Sustain each one through the dark valleys. Bring them through the other side and let them know your comfort even now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.